Well, good morning, church. Man, welcome. So glad you're here. If it's your first time with us, I want to say, like I say every week, man, we are so thankful to have you in the house. And I hope you find what so many of us have found, that this church, that Riverside, truly is a place uh, that you can find a home and you can belong. Uh, in so many ways, we try to be a faith family, and we long for that. Uh, I'm so thankful for Jonathan uh, being here this, this, uh, on today to lead us in worship. Uh, uh, we said it earlier, but if you didn't hear it, uh, DJ Bulls, our, our worship leader, has been at Winterfest in Arlington all weekend, leading thousands of teens in worship along with our very own Katie Walker, who just walked in. So I think they just got here in the room. So, so thankful that they were able this weekend to lead literally thousands of teenagers, if you can imagine this, uh, for or 5,000 teens packed into the convention center uh, in worship this week. And what a blessing. And I'm so thankful for their hearts, their ministry, their service, and their ability to do that. And so thankful that Jonathan could come today and help, help us out today while that was going on down there. It's just, a, it's just a great day. It's a great weekend. Go Cowboys. Am I right? I know we're all pulling in the same direction, so it's going to, most of us anyway. Sorry, Jason. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, I don't know. I don't, well, I, I got to stay on schedule, man. We got a lot to do today. We start talking football, it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be tough. Anyway, man, is anybody hungry? I know if you're like me, you know, it's, it's, it's getting close uh, to time for lunch. And so I won't keep you long and we'll, we'll look at this here in a minute. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? I want you to think about that question today. Uh, today, January 15th, 1929, that's the day that Martin Luther King Jr. was born. And tomorrow we'll celebrate around this country uh, this incredible man and his life and what he did and what he stood for. And, and um, I just think it's amazing to think back uh, over his life and his desire to see things in this country uh, be just a little, more, a little more on earth as they are in heaven, right? When it comes to remembering that every person is a person of immeasurable worth no matter the color of their skin. I love this quote, and I wanted to share this with you as we began today. He gave this incredible speech, the I Have a Dream speech on August 28, 1963. I don't know if you've listened to that lately or gone back and read it. I went back this week, and I wanted to hear it again. It's 16 minutes long. Think about that. In 16 minutes, he had an impact that, oh, man, it's changed the world. And in part of that speech, I can't read the whole thing today, but I love this line. He said, we cannot be satisfied. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied. And we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I wish I had his voice to really do it justice. (laughs) Martin Luther King Jr., like so many people in his day, I'm so thankful for his leadership and what he did, but he had this hunger. This hunger, you, you heard it even in this, this short quote three or four times. He says, we will not be satisfied until. There was this deep desire, this longing, this hunger for something that was wrong to be made right. And, and I've been thinking about this this week, and I've been just, just thinking about our context, and maybe you have too. But when you look around our country, when you look around our world, what, what is it that we are hungry for as a nation, as a country, what are we hungry for? To be fair and to be honest, I'm not really sure I know the answer to that question. And we could talk about that all day as well. What are we hungry for? Let's just let's, let's, let's narrow the scope of that. 
What are we hungry for as a church? What are we hungry for as the church at Riverside? What is that, that, that thing or that place where we experience incredible dissatisfaction or unsatisfaction and we're striving and we're working to make things right? We have a deep desire, a deep hunger to make something right that is that's wrong. What are, we, what are we hungry for? What does the way we worship reveal about our hunger? What does the way... Uh, way we do things, our activity reveal about our worship? What does the way we spend our time or our resources as a church, what does that reveal about our hunger? What are we hungry for? What are you hungry for? In your life, what are you, what are you hungry for? You see, I, I just have to believe as we walk in the room this morning with all of the people that are here today that as, as we come into this space together, that there are so many people walking in, and in one area of your life or another, there is an area of dissatisfaction. There's a place in your life where you're not happy with the way things are. What is it you're hungry for this morning? Where is that place, that deep desire, that wanting, that longing, that frustration, that area where things aren't right and you're dissatisfied? This morning, I want us to look at Jesus, and I want to look at one of the things that he said about himself. Like Jason said, we're starting a new series today, and over the next few weeks, we're going to look through the Gospel of John, because over and over again, seven different times, Jesus says something to this effect, I am, and then he fills in the blank. And and I love that he does this, because I think in our world today, and even in this church, we say things about Jesus all the time. We believe things about Jesus all the time. But something, sometimes, if we're not careful, what we say about Jesus and what we believe about Jesus, it can be different than what Jesus said about Jesus. So the idea of this series and the idea for the next few weeks is just to step back and to take a look at Jesus and ask him the question, who are you? And let him tell us. And I think when we do that, something, something amazing could happen. First, we could, we could learn a little bit more about who Jesus really is, right? We can learn more about what he said about himself and what is true about him. But a second thing can happen as well, I think, that, that could be just powerful and transformative for our church, is that as we learn more about who Jesus is, then we can learn more about who we're called to be. And that, I believe, has the power to change everything. But before we get to Jesus this morning, we have to back up because this morning we're going to get to John 6 in a minute. So just to kind of give you a heads up, we're headed that direction. We're going to look at some words of Jesus there. But there's a story behind the story. And before we get to this story, we have to back up to another story so that we're all on the same page when we get to Jesus and we enter into the story we're going to look at today. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, if you want to open up, we're going to start. We're going to start in Exodus 16. Because I want you to hear the story behind the story. And I just want to read you a couple of verses to give you a picture of what life was like for the people of God back in these days. Moses has already led the people out of Egypt. If you remember, for hundreds of years, they had been captive and they'd been slaved in Egypt. Things were not going well. Things were not the way they were supposed to be. And the Bible says that God heard their cry. So he sent Moses, and many of you know the story, and he delivered the people of Israel from their slavery, their bondage in Egypt, and now they're on their way to a a promised land. But as they're on their journey, they've already left Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've seen God do amazing and awesome and unbelievable things 
right? In, in so many ways, their faith should be at an all-time high. It's, it's hit a watermark. It's been one of those moments in the life of, the, uh, of their people where they know, they know that they know that they know God is with them, but they're on their journey, and all of a sudden, they literally get hungry. Like, they're walking on the road, and they're, they're beginning to feel like they haven't had enough food, and their, their bellies are grumbling and rumbling, and so what, what happens is they begin to grumble and rumble. And in Exodus 16, verse 3, they say, they make this incredibly bold declaration. They said, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Life was so wonderful back when we were slaves in Egypt and people were beating us and making us do things, right? But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. Can you, can you feel the collective eye roll of God at this moment? <laughs> like, seriously, seriously, do you, do you not remember? You just, they were chasing you with chariots and arrows and spears and whatever else they had. They were going to kill you. And now you're, you're wishing to go back there because you're a little bit hungry? Are you serious? But this precipitates one of the greatest miracles in the entire Bible. In fact, if you were to ask me, you know, what, what's one of your favorite miracles in, in, in all of Scripture? I, I would probably say this one. Because what happens next is that God hears their cry again. And instead of striking them dead and starting over, which is probably what you and I would have done, God does something incredible. He has enormous compassion on his people, despite their moaning and groaning. And so that, that could be the message right there, right, for us. There is hope. There is hope for all of us. That it's a reminder that we serve a God. We, we serve a great God with a great name and a kind heart. And that God so often moves, his first move is one of compassion. And so if you know the story, what happens next is that God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Every day... Every day, I'm going to give you manna, literally bread from heaven. And and the reason this is one of my favorite miracles is because this wasn't a one-and-done miracle. This was a miracle that happened for every day for 40 years. Just think about that. This happened every single day for 40 years. It was a 40-year miracle. Every day, over and over again, God provided them literally food, bread, manna from heaven. So that they wouldn't be hungry and they wouldn't have to complain again. And their hunger created the opportunity for one of God's greatest miracles. And there's something in that for us too, right church? Our hunger can create the opportunity for God to move in a miraculous way as well. But in Exodus 16, going down to verse 35, we see the result. The people of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they arrived at the land where they would settle. And they ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. This event, this miracle, this 40-year-long miracle marked and defined the people of God. This was one of those stories like crossing the Red Sea, like being delivered from Egypt, that they would tell over and over and over and over and over again. Parents would tell their children and their children would tell their children. And on and on the story would be passed down because this was significant. This was incredible. For 40 years, God literally literally fed his people. Now, fast forward a few hundred years, and and Jesus is now on the scene. 
And if you want to turn over to John 6, you're going to find out that at this point in the life and the ministry of Jesus, it's still pretty early on, but at this point in his ministry, he literally has thousands of people following him. In fact, John 6 is going to tell us that, that there's 5,000 men, which that's not counting women and children, so you can let your imagination run wild. There could have been 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 people all following Jesus. His fame is at an all-time high. His popularity is at an all-time high. So many people are following the same Jesus that you and I claim to follow. It's amazing. And you may wonder, why? 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 How did Jesus, I mean, like on day one of his ministry, start a megachurch, right? Like, how did this happen? All these people are following Jesus, and they're following him wherever he goes. In fact, now he's kind of at a deserted place, and they're all there. And John tells us in John 6, verse 2, a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because, get this, this is, this is huge. This is so important. Because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. They saw the power of God literally at work in the person of Jesus. And they had been hoping against hope. We've talked about this. They'd been, they'd been wanting against all odds for someone to rise up like Moses to lead them again and deliver them from their present oppression. Maybe, just maybe, we've seen what he can do. We've seen him heal the sick. Maybe this is the Messiah. And so they're following him. They're following him. And in John 6, verse 5, John says this. Jesus soon saw the huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, this is one of his disciples, one of the boys. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And this is important for you to know as well. Whenever Jesus asks a question in the Gospel of John, he's always testing someone. It wasn't like Jesus didn't know what was going to happen next. It wasn't like Jesus didn't have the answer or, or he didn't know what to do. Jesus already probably in his mind, he thought there's a hundred different ways I can solve this problem. And they're all awesome. But let me just see what Philip would say, right? Hey, Philip, come here. Philip, you've, you've seen me. You've heard the stories. You, you know I turned water into wine. You've seen me heal the sick. You've seen me do lots of cool things already. So, hey, Philip, what, what do you think we should do? How do, we, how do we feed these people? Now, I'm sure Jesus was looking for Philip to come up with a really creative, cool, amazing answer. But Philip did what a lot of us did. Philip replied, um, Jesus, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Like, Jesus, seriously? You, you, you realize... Like, this is a simple math problem. We've got this many people. We've got this much money and food. We, it equals, there's no possible way. Are you kidding me? Philip did what so many of us do in these situations, right? He, he looks at the problem, and he sees the available resources, and he says, there's no possible way to do this. It's not going to happen, Jesus. It's simple math. I, I think so many times we do the same thing. We look at impossible situations, and we think it's simple math, and there's no way... I'm so thankful, though, that while this conversation was going on between Jesus and Philip, that we've got Andrew over here who's listening. And Andrew hears the question of Jesus, and instead of doing the simple math, he goes and he finds a boy. Listen to what happens. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Uh, There's a young boy here, Jesus, and he's got five barley loaves. That's poor man's bread, by the way. And two fish. Uh, but, but, you know, what, what good is that with such a huge crowd? I, I love Andrew's response because Andrew sees the problem, and instead of coming up with all the reasons why it can't work out, 
he goes and he finds somebody who has some food and he says, hey, we, we've got this. What can we do with this? You know? And, and I love that Andrew knows that when, when, you have the, when you have the Messiah on your side, the math doesn't really matter, right? He knows that when Jesus is here, like anything is probably possible. I don't know how to do it, but here's what we got. There's a couple of things I love about Andrew, and some of you know this, but this is just the coolest thing. You need to know this if you don't know this already. Every time you read about Andrew, every single time, he's always bringing someone to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I mean, if, if, if people only knew one thing about you, wouldn't that be the coolest thing if that's what people knew about you? I don't know a lot about them, but what I do know is they're always bringing someone to Jesus. I love that. Every time you read about Andrew, he's always doing the same thing. He's bringing someone to Jesus. The other thing I love about, about Andrew is he doesn't get discouraged. He doesn't call a committee and come up with a list of all the reasons that this isn't going to work out. Jesus, we've gotten all together and we've decided it's not going to happen. We don't have food. We don't have money. We don't have time. It's impossible. Send them away. Andrew doesn't get discouraged. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't, he doesn't do any of the things that you and I might typically do. What Andrew does is he goes and he finds a boy and he says, hey, here's what we got. What can you do with this Jesus? And it's just a powerful reminder. This isn't the message today, but, but just so you know, this is a powerful reminder that whatever impossible situation you're facing in your life, if you'll just bring whatever you have to Jesus, no matter how small and insignificant it may seem to you, Jesus can take that. And he can literally do something that's amazing. When I was reading this story this week, I was just thinking, I'm so glad that God is not as good at math as we are. <laughs> Aren't you? Because if God was as good at math as we are, there's so many times. There's so many times when God takes something so small and so insignificant, and he seems to just make a way where there seems to be no way. So verse 10 Jesus sees the boy, sees the fish, sees the bread. And he says, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. And the men, the men alone numbered about 5,000. And then Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks to God. And this is cool because this is one of those stories that's found in every gospel. But when John tells it, he tells it this way. He says, Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks, and distributed them to the people. So John paints this picture where Jesus alone is the one passing out the bread to every person there that day. He's the sole provider of this bread. And afterward, he did the same thing with the fish. And get this, they all ate as much as they wanted. And you could almost hear the whispers, can't you? I mean, just, just picture in your mind. You've got these people sitting in pods all around these grassy slopes and Jesus is walking from group to group and he's passing out bread and he's passing out fish and, and people start talking like, where is this coming from? Did you see what he did? He like prayed and then he broke it and he's just not running out. It keeps coming, it keeps coming. They, th- th- this, this feels all too familiar. Like this feels like that story that, that my parents told me, my grandparents told me, and my great-grandparents told me, that story of, of when Moses came and, and the people ate bread from heaven. It feels exactly like, could, could this be? Could this be the one we're waiting for? There's no other way we can explain this. How, literally, how is this happening? So the next morning, they wake up, and they're all looking for Jesus, Right? I mean, they just experienced this incredible miracle. They've been following this man everywhere. He's just done something else incredibly, totally, unbelievably amazing. So they go looking for him, and they can't find him. Jesus is gone. 
So verse, 20, verse 25 of John 6, John says this. They found him on the other side of the lake, and they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. I'm going to be honest with you. You want to be with me. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Church, I'll be honest. This could be the whole deal right here. These people are following Jesus because they experienced the power of God. But Jesus looks at them in the eye and he says, stop pursuing perishable things. Stop it. Stop it. Stop your pursuit of perishable things. You're spending all of your energy pursuing things that aren't going to matter a hundred years from now. Why? Why are you doing that? Stop pursuing perishable things. Instead, spend your energy Spend all of your energy. Spend your best energy. Spend your first energy. Spend your priority energy pursuing. Pursuing something else entirely. Pursuing not life, not the life that the bread I gave you yesterday is going to give you. Spend all of your energy pursuing eternal life that only comes from the Son of Man. They just didn't get it though. Verse 30, they, they answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. I just did that. What what can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. And the scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Can you see like the veins in Jesus' head just bulging out at this point? Like, are you kidding me? You're going to give Moses the credit for the 40-year miracle that my father did? Are you kidding me? Moses didn't do that. Are you? Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now, this is unparalleled, unprecedented. And now, he's offering you, even though you're driving me crazy, he's offering you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I'm it. I am. I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Of life. Your ancestors, get this, they ate that man in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I offer so that, so that the world may live, this bread is my flesh. Is anybody hungry? Is anybody hungry? What are you hungry for? So I had coffee this week with my friend, your friend, Joe the Baker. 
This morning, his wife brought me a three-wheat sourdough. Stay in your seats. Start coming forward now. We'll be confused. Yeah. Woo! Some good stuff. I'm, I'm really afraid to actually break this because I think I'll mess it up. Um, I, I met with Joe because I said, tell me about bread because I feel like, like I've, I've eaten it my whole life, but I don't know, I don't know anything about it. I don't know how you make it. I don't know where it comes from. All I know, I know this, there, and you, you can amen this. There's a difference between like homemade sourdough bread and like what you buy at the store, right? I don't know what it is, but when you eat homemade sourdough bread, which this is, it's just, you can eat the whole thing like in five minutes. It's un, it tastes unbelievably good, right? I said, what, tell me about bread. And he said, a lot of you probably know this because you're smarter than me or you've actually cooked before, but he said, bread is one of those staple foods. It's been around... I mean, for all time, it's in every culture, in every place, all people, all around the world, for all time, almost everyone has always had access to bread because bread is made from four basic ingredients. You know what they are? Water, salt, flour, and yeast. So that's, 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 that's pretty cool. I like, I like that. I said, well, what else about bread? He said, well, bread, he said, the thing about bread is you can't actually make bread. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, well, you, you really... You can't make, you can't make bread. It, you can create the conditions for it to be formed and be made, but you can't make it because bread, in a very real way, is, is alive. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, well, you take the flour, the water, the salt, you make the dough, but, but then you take this yeast. And he said, my yeast that I currently have at, at home or in my you know, shop is two years old. I'm like, I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, and you have to keep it alive. Like, it's like a pet. Like, you name it. Like, it's real. <laughs> Like you have to feed it flour, you feed it water, you got to take care of it and keep it. He said, I used to have some yeast that was a lot older, but I left town and a friend took care of it and it died. And he's like, I cried. Like, like yeast is living and active. And when you add that yeast to that dough and you work it into the dough, then the bread is formed. You can't make bread, but you can create the environment and the, and the, and the conditions for bread to be formed. I was like, wow. Wow. So bread, so many people have had access. It's sustained and provided for life for so long. But in so many ways, you can't make it, but you can make the conditions right for it to be made. And I, I think about you and I. And I think about the, the unparalleled access that you and I have to God. What does it mean for Jesus to be the bread of life? I'm just amazed that you and I have unparalleled access to God. And while this is true, you can't make your spiritual life go, you can't grow in Christ, you can't like put miracle grow on your morning time with Jesus and become a spiritual giant overnight. What you can do is you can create the conditions for yourself, for your life to grow in Christ and for the bread of Christ to be formed in you. And what happens, church, is that this isn't just what Jesus is to us. He is the bread of life. Don't ever miss that or forget that Jesus is the bread of life. But what Jesus wants is for the bread of life to be formed in you so that you can then carry the bread of life to the rest of the world. You see, we learn not just who Jesus is, but who Jesus is calling us to be. And what he wants us to be is he wants us to be the bread of life. He wants to be the bread of life in us so that others can taste and see that the Lord it's good. What does it mean for Jesus to be the bread of life? 
But not just that. What does it mean for us to be hungry for God? I'd say this is where I've been struggling this week. How do we as a people who don't really hunger for anything understand what it means to be hungry for God? Sometimes our greatest blessings can be our greatest curses, amen? And the fact that so many of us don't really need for much can create a situation where we feel like we don't really even need God. How do we as a people who don't hungry for much, how do we hunger for God? And I think about those people in John 6, these religious people, these people who believed in God, who were following Jesus, and they came to him, and over and over again, they missed it. They were hungry for the power of God, not the presence of Christ. Here's a test. If your relationship with God is predicated on what God can do for you instead of who God is to you, you may be more like those people in John 6 than you want to admit. Those people who are hungry for the power of God. But they just weren't very interested in the presence of Christ. How can we be hungry for God? How can we be hungry for God? You've seen the Snickers commercial? Comes up with somebody who's not themselves. And they eat a Snickers and all of a sudden they become themselves. And Snickers has this great tagline that says, you're not you when you're hungry. Jesus says, you know what? You are exactly who you were created to be when you're hungry for the right things. When you're hungry for Christ. So what can you do this week to be hungry for God? Think about my friend, good friend, who decided to take up fasting. I don't know if you fast. Some of you may fast from different things, from technology, from TV, from media, from whatever, from food. He decided to take up fasting from food because he wanted to know what it meant to be hungry. And if, if you're a person like me that doesn't have to be hungry, then maybe we need to choose to be hungry so that we can know what it means to be hungry for God. And so he took up fasting, and sure enough, it's not easy And when you get hungry, when you get really hungry, when you miss more than one meal, when it's past 24 hours since you've eaten and you feel really hungry, it's a painful reminder of our desperate dependence on food, but it's even a bigger reminder of our desperate dependence on the bread of life. How can you be hungry this week? This is my simple challenge for you and for me. Let's find ways to be hungry for the bread of life. And then come to the table of the Lord and break open his word and read these stories about Jesus and remember who he is. Some of you, you've been hungry for a long time and you've been trying to fill that void with so many things and what you found is none of it satisfies. Drugs don't satisfy. Power doesn't satisfy. Alcohol doesn't satisfy. Relationships don't satisfy. None of it satisfies. Possessions Think about it. Whatever it is that you've been trying to fill and to find satisfaction in, none of it satisfies because only one thing satisfies. We all hunger for something. Jesus is the only one who satisfies. Church, if you would, please stand. Mm. Martin Luther King had an incredible dream. And we're not there yet, but we've made great strides. Jesus had a dream. He had this idea that you and I could find everything we would ever need 
in him. He had this idea that if you and I would stop pursuing perishable things and start pursuing him, that we would find all we ever needed. And one of Satan's greatest ideas is to convince you and me that that's not true, that we need something else. Jesus says, it's not me plus anything, it's just me. So church, I want to invite you to be hungry this week. (coughs) Maybe you haven't been hungry in a while. Maybe you need to create some hunger. But I want to invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good. To pray, give us this day our daily bread. And when you pray that prayer, you're not praying for food, you're praying for Jesus. To come before him. And and, and discover that, that what you need isn't so much his power. And isn't so much a miracle. What you really need is just his presence. Just to be with him. And let him be with you. And to find that Jesus, only Jesus, satisfies. Let's sing.